Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. My name is Aaron Lee Pastor. I get to preach today as we continue our series on identity, and I hope that you've enjoyed this series so far. I found it helpful. We started a, a few weeks ago um, talking about uh, where we find our real identity, and that is in Christ. The, the truest thing that will ever be said about us is what God says about us. And so um, we start there, and everything from that really begins to flow. Uh, and so uh, we've talked about um, what does it mean that God made us male and female? We've talked about uh, last week uh, marriage and what is marriage and God's design in that. And uh, today we continue on our uh, it's talking about God's uh, place for us and family as we talk about parents and children. And so that's what we'll be talking about. Now, before we do, we always want to start with our memory verse for this series. And hopefully by now, this is starting to, to uh, become... Uh, more familiar, and so um, if you've been here every week, if you're brand new with us, uh, don't worry about it. Welcome. We're so glad that you guys are here. Um, what we're going to do is we just set a little bit of God's Word into our heart and to our mind as we go through a series to make sure that we know what God's Word says, and it kind of creates that theological foundation for us to stand on. And so our memory verse for this series is Galatians 2.20, and so what we'll do is you could just say it together, and so here we go. Three, two, one. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. And the reason I chose this passage for this series is it really begins to tell us what our identity came from. Now, before we were in Christ, we were basically our identity came from us, who we said we were, but... When we came to Jesus, we died to that old life, right? That was the whole purpose of baptism, dying to that old self, being raised new, being born again into a new life. And so everything that happened in the past, all the stuff that I used to be, no longer defines me. God now gets to define me. And now we are who God says that we are. And since we're part of his family, uh, it's his rules, right? Good is what God says is good. And we're going to live together in this family according to how God has things set up. It's pretty awesome thing. And so I encourage you, if you haven't had time or haven't had an opportunity yet to, to memorize this passage, I encourage you, take this Bible memory verse, put it in your pocket, your wallet, put it in your purse, put it somewhere you're going to see, and remind yourself of this every day, because the world's going to try to define you, but we're not who the world says we are. And oftentimes the enemy comes into our life and tries to bring us guilt and shame, and, but you know what? We're not who the enemy says we are. And sometimes that old voice on the inside is going to tell you, this is who you are right? You're not loved. You're not forgiven. You're not good enough. You're not perfect, right? All those things, but you're not who you say you are. You, God says you are. And we're going to begin with that. And then today, we're going to be talking about who he says we are in terms of our families. How does God set up the family? Now, um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning today to Colossians chapter 3. And uh, so if you have one of our Bibles, that's going to be on page 822. If you forgot your Bible today, don't worry about it. We are a church. We've got lots of Bibles. They're on by the sound booth there. You can pick one up. And if you need a Bible, just keep it. Be our gift to you. And Colossians, uh, we're going to be a chapter three. It's got passages in the New Testament that talk specifically about how God designed or sets up the family, the expectations that God has for family. And remember that there are only two institutions in all of creation that God himself designs, right? The first one is family, and the second one is church. Every other institution in humanity, God allows us to set up, right? For government, for business, for all those things. The structure for those, he sets up to us, right? But, uh, but family and church, God has designed because, in a very specific way. He wants them to be uh, set up in a per- certain way because those are the only two institutions in all of creation that are designed to reflect him right? So how we set up our families, how we operate our families, it matters a great deal to God because it reflects Him. And so last week, we began with uh, marriage, right? That was part one. We started with marriage. What was God's design for marriage? One man, one woman for life for the purpose of reflecting God, right? That masculinity, that femininity, and how we operate together. That's where we start. And the reason that we did that is because, well, a healthy family is built upon a solid marriage, right? That's the core. Healthy families are built upon solid marriages. That's why, like in verse 18, where we begin, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as is fitting the Lord, and husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Now, every time we see in the scripture where we start talking about the institution of family and how we raise kids, God starts with marriage, 
right? Because it matters, right? How a marriage is really affects the kids, right? The next generation. So we have to start by having a solid marriage. And if you missed that uh, message, it's on our website, funchurch.com. I encourage you to go there on our Facebook page. It's there. It's also on our uh, YouTube channel and wherever else Zach has it on the web. I encourage you, go check it out. Watch, talk about what family is. But, but the primary purpose of marriage is to reflect God's image and nature. And that's why healthy marriages are built masculine and feminine. It reflects God and his nature in that way. There is a, a, a difference between the two, but a mutual completing of one another and a cooperation. There is an attitude and a culture in a healthy marriage that reflects God rightly of love and respect of sacrifice and of honor, right? This is, becomes the foundation of a healthy home, not just for the husband and wife, but the foundation, the culture for the entire family. And so uh, we want to start there. If you want to have a healthy home, start with a healthy marriage. That's where we start. There is a fallacy. When I was in youth ministry, our culture, that there is oftentimes that I would hear people say, well, we're staying together for the kids. The problem with that is that by just saying, you know what, we give up on the marriage, it's going to be a lousy marriage, but I'm just going to put up with this person only for our kids. You're not really giving your kids anything great, right? <laughs> right? You are living the legacy that you're going to leave with your ch- children. You may tell them you have certain values, but if you're not living them, practicing them, what do you think your kids are going to take with them? And so the best thing that we can do is, for our children is to start by giving them a healthy marriage. Right? That, that's where we have to begin. And that's not just for those that have families have kids right now, but I would say for grandparents. You know, even if you had difficult marriage before, you can work on having a great marriage now and begin working on the legacy you're leaving to your grandchildren. Right? It's very important. So what about difficult marriages? Marriages that are going through hard times. Well, for starters, let's just say this, that every single marriage has its ups and downs. Every marriage has good times. I mean, every marriage begins with a wedding, right? So usually the wedding day at least is nice. It might go downhill immediately after that, but some, at least they have that. But even the best marriages have down times. Every marriage has difficult times. And there's a reason for that, because difficult people make marriages, right? All of us are messed up a little bit. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we had to die to our old self, right? And so there is no perfect husband. There is no perfect wife, right? They're just not out there, we are, marriages are a bonding of two sinful people that have died to themselves, if you're a Christian, being made alive in Christ, but they're both still sinful, right? And here's a secret for you. Every marriage has the potential to be horrible. Every marriage can be absolutely awful if people are selfish and self-centered and I mean, because it's two people. And just like that, any marriage can be wonderful because there's two people in it. And then the two people really make the difference. Actually, there's, the third person is God, and God always does his part, right? And so, well, I say, if, if you're in a difficult marriage right now, the first thing in Christ, and I encourage you, don't give up. You're part of that marriage, and God is part of that marriage too. That's two out of, even if your, your spouse isn't willing to change, there's two out of three. You, you outnumber him, right? You have the potential to do great things. So if you're in a difficult marriage, the first thing is not to give up hope, but also to say this, there is a potential that you can change the marriage because you can change you. You can have God change you. And by doing so, you're changing the relationship. Sometimes what we need to do is, is in the process of your right now in a very difficult home or difficult marriage, recognize that uh, there's going to be some help that you can have to move ahead, up forward. But, and I'm going to give you some couple tips that we find in the Word of God that are going to be really helpful things that you can do. Before that, I also want to say, difficult marriages are not the same thing as abusive marriages. Right? Abuse is uh, when one uh, spouse, you're not feeling safe, somebody's coming at you, there's a, uh, you're physically um, being assaulted, you're not safe at all. I'm not talking about that. If you're in an abusive marriage, this is what you need to do. You need to seek refuge now. Because God did not design marriage to be a, a, a trap. It's not like boxing rings where like, like you can get pinned up against the ropes and just get beat up. That's not what he designed marriage to be. That doesn't reflect him well. And so if you are in an abusive marriage, this is what I need you. Before you leave today, I want to talk to you. Want, there is help in the body of Christ. We can help you seek refuge. It doesn't mean everything's blown up or anything like that, but there is help there. 
right? My message today is not about that. And so if you're in abusive marriage, know that the body of Christ is here to help you, and I want to help you. And so, so don't leave before we talk, and, I can, and we can get you that. But if you're just in the home where it's just difficult, you're not happy, you don't feel close, there's not a, a, a foundation of love and respect, you don't have that culture in there, here are some things that you can do if you're in a difficult marriage. The first one is honor God by honoring your role. Do you notice right in here when we start, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives, and don't be harsh with them? There's no prerequisite for that. It's not, uh, wives, submit your husband if he's a nice guy, if he's loving you. It doesn't say that. This is, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, right? We say this, is the church supposed to follow Christ even if we don't always understand him? Are we supposed to honor and respect our Lord and Savior even if there are times he does things that makes us a little upset, frustrates us? Because even as God says, my ways are not your ways, right? There are times that God moves in our life in ways that we do not understand, and the church's job is to respect God. In the same way, wives, you are empowered and you have been given the authority to respect your husband even if he's difficult, even when he is hard. There's not an excuse that I find in Scripture that says, well, you can respect your husband once in your eyes he seems like he's respectable. You don't respect him because of him. You respect him because of God, because of your faith in God. And remember our passage we read last week that talks about even husbands who are not believers can be won over by how their wives treat them, by how the faith and the, and the purity and the virtue of their wives. But that talks exactly to a difficult marriage. So I'd say this, wives, you can respect your husband. In fact, in Christ, the best thing, and I tell husbands, look at there. It says, husbands, uh, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. God cares how you treat your wife. And he doesn't say, husbands, love your wives if they respect you, if they make you happy, if they're all good and all that. There's, there's no qualification there. It says, husbands, love your wives. The last week we talked about husbands, lay down your life for your wives as Christ laid his life down for the church. Love her that way. Does Christ love us, the church, even when we're sinful? Yeah? Does Christ still give us affection and protection and all those things, even there are times when we're sinful and we're rebellious and we're just hard to be around? Absolutely. I mean, is Jesus' love for the church contingent upon how easy we are to be around? No. So husbands, love your wives. Live your life in such a way to sacrifice for it, not because she is, in your eyes right now, worth it, but because Christ is worth it, and you reflect Him. And I'll tell you, if we can begin to honor God by honoring our role in marriage, it changes the marriage. When you have two people that say, I will change once the other person starts changing, you are selfish. You're saying, I'm going to do this when life is about me. And once I have my wants, then I'm going to be able to give their wants. But that's not the way Jesus works. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still his enemies, he came to this earth for us. Isn't that what it says? And, and made us his children? And because we get to reflect him in our marriages, we have been invited to stop being so selfish, die to the self. That's why we have to die to that. I have, and be born again. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. So there's no room for selfishness in a Christian marriage. But this life we live in the flesh... I live by faith, and so sometimes wives, just by faith, you're honoring your husband. Even when it's hard, and husbands, you can love your wife by faith, even when she doesn't seem so lovely. You love that. And how long do you do it? How long has God been loving to us? How long has God been giving us great dignity and respect? I'll say this, that you can change the equation in your marriage by allowing God to change you. Right? If it's you and another person that God bonds together, right? And he's, he's in that as well. Do you know when you allow God to change you, you naturally change your marriage? Because you're changing you, you're a part of that. And we say, God needs to change me, and part of the thing I need to do then is I need to find my fulfillment in Christ. See a few weeks back about what that means and how God designs us, and then we talked about the needs of masculinity and the needs of femininity and how God fulfills those needs most perfectly. It's not a joke. It's not just some kind of, you know, pie-in-the-sky theoretical things. God can meet our needs. And I would say this, that a healthy marriage is solid marriages are when we finally, we begin by saying, I'm not going to be, my happiness and my contentment is not going to be contingent upon another sinful person's ability to act well. Because sometimes they're going to act well and sometimes they're not. 
But God doesn't say be faithful, be complete, you know, based upon this other person. He said, be complete in me. You are alive and Christ lives within you. That's what that means. That passage that we just memorized. That, that God has given you enough. You are sufficient just in him. So men, your needs of that companionship and that encouragement and that respect and that honor, Christ gives that to you fundamentally and foundationally and just in an amazing way. That even if your wife isn't giving that to you now, that God is. And so for men to find your completeness in Christ, your sufficiency in Him, and the same goes for ladies. Unhealthy marriages are ones that are codependent. The one that, that the husband looks at the wife and says, I'm only okay if you treat me in the way that I need to be treated. Well, what does that lead to? Well, all of a sudden I have to treat, I, I'm really controlling about how my wife is because if she's not right, then I'm not right. And it's the same way for ladies. You become very controlling of your husbands if your hope and your happiness and everything is bound up in how your husband is. But when you find your completeness in Christ, you allow your spouse to be human. If they're not perfect, which they won't be, you give them the grace to find their completeness in Christ, their forgiveness in Him, the ability to stumble and to grow as children, right? To grow in faith and faithfulness. You give them that freedom because your sufficiency isn't based upon them. It's important for us to be able to do that. So I say to fulfill your role is also to be to find your fulfillment in Christ. If we do this, we find that our healthy marriages begin to have this solid foundation for a family. And so if you're in a difficult marriage right now, start working on the foundation. And you can do that by starting by working on your foundational relationship with Christ. If nothing else, you can start there. What about, though, single parents? Because there's a lot of single parents. Do you know, in this current age, over half of America's children are raised in single-parent households? So if you have single, you're, you're a single parent any longer, and you know what? The, the, the body of Christ isn't there to condemn you or to make things harder. But I would say this, if you're a single parent, know this, that is, you're not living the ideal. It's going to be harder. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that, that he's absent from you or anything like that. It just means it's going to be harder. You have the work of two parents on your shoulders, and one of those parents is going to be fundamentally different than you are. One was supposed to be masculine, or one was supposed to be feminine, and you're not that. It's going to be harder. And so for the, you need to understand that, that, that God didn't abandon you in this. He doesn't there, sit there and say, well, you've messed up, and so that way I'm going to make it hard. He just says it's going to be more difficult, so I'm going to give you help. Think about this. It's not the ideal for there to be widows, right? That wasn't God's ideal for life. It's harder for widows. And it's not God's ideal for there to be orphans, right? But does God love widows and orphans? Does the church supposed to love widows and orphans? The answer is yes. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the role of the church is to make the life of the widows and the orphans better, isn't it? To bless them and to serve them, to help them. It is the same way for single parents. They're not living the ideal. The church isn't supposed to be there to condemn them, to make them feel bad or make them feel awkward. We're supposed to serve them and help them because we are brothers and sisters in the faith. So if you're a single parent, there's some things that we find, some encouragement, some things that you can do. The first one that you can do as a single parent is practice purity. Honor marriage. Isn't that what we read? From the word of God, it says that the marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. That includes single parents. One of the things that you can do to honor marriage is actually honor the marriage structure. You can teach your children that marriage means something, not just to move in with the boyfriend or the girlfriend. Right To show them that this is something that is holy and good because it reflects God. You can practice purity in yourself and find sufficiency in Christ as you find help from the body of Christ. How you live is teaching your children something. So one of the things that you can show is that marriage is important and there's a value to it and you respect it, honored by all. Another thing that you can do is that you can honor your ex. Right, uh, You do no benefit to your child by declaring war on, on your ex-spouse. Too many children are caught between a battlefield between parents where you have one parent that's at war against the other. And I'll tell you that it's an awkward place for a kid. And they say, well, I can't be happy with my mom because my dad will be upset or I can't be happy with my dad because my mom will be upset. Children are not supposed to be put in the middle of a battlefield. And one of the things you can do is just because you have been 
bonds have been broken and all that doesn't give you license to disrespect another person. In fact, the scripture tells us we're supposed to even honor all people in authority, right? Including at the time was a horrible emperor named Nero. If Christians can honor Nero, chances are you probably can honor your ex-spouse. So love them. Now, doesn't mean you don't have to say truth, but you can be honest without hostility. Right? You can you realize that when you, uh, as, as an as a ex-spouse, if you're a divorcee, if you speak poorly of your child's father or their mother, you are telling them something horrible about themselves. Because that's their heritage. That's part of who they are. We're not to do that. If you are a Christian and you have been divorced, there's a standard that God gives us. You can honor your ex. Speak well of them if you are going to speak of them at all. Doesn't have to, don't have to take lies, but speak well of them. Honor them. Also, uh, the last thing you can do as a single parent is this. Don't go it alone. Right? Th- th- realize that, that it, you have... Now the burden, the responsibility, which doesn't go away. Parents, just if you're a single parent, the responsibility to how you're supposed to parent doesn't, doesn't diminish in the, in the slightest. God wants you to parent your children. But it's harder. <laughs> you're doing alone a job that's supposed to take two people, right? And so therefore, God did not leave you to this by yourself. You're not on your own island, right? God doesn't abandon you. He gave you his family, the church. He's given you other family and friends, Be willing to accept help. Don't go it alone. It's okay. No one expects you to do all of this. In fact, just like God doesn't expect orphans and widows to just do everything on their own, He expects the church to be able to come alongside those who are single parents and support them. And so that's the three things that I think these practice purity, honor your ex, and realize don't go it alone. Connect with the community. Now we go into, with we have a strong marriages as a foundation. Now do we have parents and children, right? The first thing I want to talk about is the parents. Parents are responsible for their children. We see that all the way through Scripture. In this passage, it's just one little verse that says this. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged, right? Throughout Scripture, we see that parents are supposed to discipline their children, train them, disciple them, right? All these types of things that we're supposed to do as parents. It's a parent's job to raise good kids. But how we do that matters, right? This is not an excuse for mothers to to exasperate their children, right? It says, as parents, the father's ahead of the home, right, ahead of the marriage, the father's parents don't embitter your children or they're going to become discouraged. How you parent matters, you're not supposed to parent in such a way that makes your children bitter. It's not supposed to exasperate them, right? To frustrate them. And we frustrate our children when we raise them in such a way that makes no sense, that it's bad processes, right? Bad ways of parenting. So we're going to talk about some good ways of parenting here in just a minute, right? And if we have bad parenting, we find discouraged children. Kids that feel like I can't measure up or I'm not going to do things right or I'm frustrated with the way the world is, we're not supposed to do that. Parents are supposed to, here, don't discourage them, don't embitter them, we're supposed to parent them well. So how do we do that? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is look at God, right? God is going to be our best example of a good parent, isn't he? In fact, when we pray, is our heavenly father that we pray to, isn't it? That God is the perfect parent. And it doesn't just have the masculine traits, right? We call him Heavenly Father, but we know that, that God made people in his image, male and female, he created them. God has that masculine and feminine uh, attributes, and they're united perfectly somehow in the beauty of the Trinity. And so we find that parents are supposed to reflect that in a great way, but we also recognize that, that we, uh, we parent well. We look at how God parents. Like, he does some really good things. And so if we see how God parents us, then we as parents, we have a good uh, structure to know how we're supposed to parent our children. For God has those masculine traits that dads provide provision and protection and direction, right? They provide that home. And for moms, that feminine relational nurturing and, cl- uh, and that civil- civility that moms bring into a home, right? They make that type of home that when those come together, a uh, great way. That's why uh, two-parent homes were God's design. It's, it's awesome. But we also see that God doesn't just reflect those masculine and feminine traits in perfection, how he teaches us, but then he also has these two elements in how God treats us, a lot of love and a lot of structure, right? God loves us with an amazing amount of grace, 
And God has a lot of things where he says these are the expectations. This is how we're supposed to, uh, this is, uh, how we're supposed to grow. This is how we're supposed to act. And so love and structure really become a foundation. If we look at how God parents, we see that he has these two attributes are part of his family. This is how he treats us. And so we as parents need to look at God in terms of how he loves us and the structure he gives us, and we begin to model our homes likewise. And so if you could think of it this way, love and structure are these... Uh, there are two important elements of, of a marriage, but they're not just like, uh, it's not like a, I love you or I don't love you, fish, that's no love, and you can be completely selfless, that's a lot of love, right? Um, you can have no relationship, and you can have lots of relationships, but there's a lot of gray, there's a lot of area in between, right? And there's also the same thing with structure. You can have no structure whatsoever, just chaos, and you can have lots of structure where everything's like the military, right? And there's a lot of stuff in between. And so we think about our families or how we parent, it's going to fit somewhere in between that. And so we think about it kind of like a, a, a matrix, right? If we look at it that way and kind of divide it up for just for simplicity's sake, kind of like four major quadrants, right, to how we might, we might parent, right? Let's talk about families that really have a lo- low love and low structure within them, right? That first quadrant right down there. We call those types of parents, uh, families passive, right? Passive parenting that you find in that, right? Passive parents are those that have low love. They, they don't have a relationship with their kids. There's not a lot of grace that's happening in that home, right? There's not a lot of laughter, not a lot of care, anything like that. Kids are kind of just separated from their parents. They have no real relationship, right? At the same time, there's not a lot of structure. There's not a lot of rules in the house. Kids are able to just kind of do whatever they want willy-nilly, right? They're basically left to raise themselves. Passive parenting. Passive parenting is really destructive, Right? Passive parenting results in anxiety. Uh, people that are brought up in passive homes, absentee parents basically, oftentimes have an extreme amount of anxiety socially and personally because when brought up, they didn't know what love was supposed to be like. They never taught that they were worthy of love. They don't know what the rules, how am I supposed to operate in this world, in this life? And I'll tell you that Christian homes should not have passive parents. That, that passive parenting is basically saying to God, I'm not responsible for my kids. I'm just going gonna, gonna to be selfish. I'm going to do whatever I want. This is a, a horrible, horrible way to, to parent. I think everybody would agree. So let's talk about the next one, which has actually been championed here in the last 15 years. And those are low-structure, high-love homes, right? And we would call that kind of family permissive, permissive parenting. And families that are uh, low structure, are, but high love, you have a lot of love. So you have like kids that are completely loved by their parents. The parents are at every single thing, right? They, they, they give their kids whatever they want, they, right? They tell their kids you're perfect. They really boost the child's self-esteem, but there's not a lot of structure. There's not a lot of rules, right? And this has actually been championed in the last 15 years, has become the parenting uh, style of Vogue. A lot of Child psychologists tell you to, to teach this way because you want to protect the child's self-esteem. That's why you want to do that if you have about that. Right? So there's no structure. Right? So there's no such things as winners and losers. Everybody gets a trophy. Right? There's no such things as, as good things or bad things. Everybody just has a way that they act, and we're going to celebrate whatever you want to do as a child because you're perfect. Passive, or this, this permissive type of parenting results in entitled people. And we've been now long enough in our culture, it's been about two decades, that this has become the popular way that we've been told to, to, to raise our children. And now we have a generation in mass, outside of the church, right, but even in the church, who have been parented this way by well-meaning parents. And what has it resulted in? Well, we have employers now that are having a really hard time because they have these employees that are really entitled. I have premarital counseling sometimes with two entitled individuals, which makes it really difficult to teach them, no, in marriage, you got to lay down your life for your wife. You're not entitled to these things. Oh, no, wife, you're going to have to respect your husband. You're not entitled. It's about love, about sacrifice. It makes it really difficult. What we find is these entitled people have made it very, very difficult to operate well in society. My wife showed me an article last week or two weeks ago that, was, that really showed this, and it, was, it broke my heart, but... It was this uh, a publisher in New York, they, um, a, a media outlet, and they, for them was a writer, a young woman who had gone through college and had all this kind of stuff and had written this article, and she was talking with 
her turn it in and to be published, and her editor came down, and, and it was a real story that this happened. A third person who saw this kind of wrote down what happened. But the, the article was pretty good, and the editor said, this is a pretty good article, but you spelled this word wrong. We need to make sure we spell the word correctly. And this, this young lady, this writer, was incensed that the editor would have the audacity to tell her that she spelled a word wrong. And she kept insisting, well, that's how I spell it. And the editor was like, that's just not how it's spelled. And she said, well, that's how I spell it, and this is the way that it's supposed to be. And when the editor finally left, the young woman got on her phone, put it on speakerphone, in with all of the other people in her office, called her mom. And her mom agreed with her daughter and talked about how bad this editor was, that he wasn't loving, this, 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 this editor wasn't loving her daughter because he had, by showing this structure, but that words actually are spelled a certain way. High love, low structure. I'll tell you, if both of these, if you were raised in a passive home where your parents just didn't care for you, it didn't seem like that there was no love there, if you were raised in a home where there was just lots of love but not a lot of structure and, and all those things, here's a, some really cool thing for you, that God is your parent now. When you came to Jesus, you died to that old self. And you died to, that, to all of that past. And you are now born again his family, his child. And God loves you so much. And there are ways that he's taught us that we're supposed to live. And these are for you. And he is active and he's engaged in your life. So you're not defined by your past. But I think sometimes we have to recognize the damage the past can do. So we start there. And as parents in Christian homes in our church, we have to reject this way of, of parenting. This shouldn't be the norm in the church. Christians are not entitled people. We are loved people. We are blessed people. We are, we are gracious people. But we should never be entitled. There's another kind of parenting that was actually popular before, which is why permissive parenting became popular. There was a type of, of parenting that was really promoted in culture and all that kind of stuff the generation before this. And it's, uh, it's definitely it's a high-structure, low-love model. And we would call this an authoritarian model of parenting. Children are to be seen but not heard. There's going to be order in the house, but you know what? At the expense, oftentimes, of relationship. The kids are, are, are good if they perform. And the love that a parent has for a kid is based upon how well they perform. There are rules, and there's a way that the home works, and if you do that, you're all right, but if you don't, you're not okay. That type of parenting is actually really, really damaging, and it leads to rebellion. It does. It's this idea that you have all the structure, but it's not even for me. There's not, a, there's not a place for me in this. You care more about the structure than you do me, so why would I have part, any part of it? Authoritarian parenting is what leads to uh, the mass exodus from the church in a large part because family was designed to, to represent God to the world, and that's something that all of us as parents, as, as, as humans, get so when you are brought up in a home that's authoritarian, naturally you paint God with that same brush. And there's a lot of people who have come out of those types of homes who have thought God is just this rule monger, tell you what to do but doesn't care about you. He's up there just waiting to zap you with lightning the first time you go wrong. The first one that wants to smack you when you do anything bad. That God is a God to be feared, not one to run to. Authoritarian parenting tells the wrong picture about who God is. It's good to have structure. We need that. But what we find is when we teach our kids this way, what they often do is they reject us. They're parenting in the church. This shouldn't be the norm. This is not how God works. And so again, if you were brought up in an authoritarian home where there was lots of structure but not a lot of love, here's the great news in Christ. You can die to that. You have died to that when you died, when you were baptized, when you came to faith in Christ. You were crucified with Christ. You don't live anymore. That, that, that background is not yours anymore. You are alive in Christ. There's a new hope. There's a new, you have a new family. And you're God. Yeah, there's a lot of structure. It's good. It gives you safety. But there's a, so much love. He cares for you. He's wild about you. He hasn't missed one single day of your life. He actually counts your tears and your hairs. Right? This is the kind of God that you have. This is our Heavenly Father. So parents, let's not, let's not parent in this authoritarian way. 
You know, there, there, there's that last quadrant. And this is where Christian homes need to be. It's a high love, high structure environment. Right? It, it, we call this kind of parenting authoritative parenting. Because it's how God parents us. This is what we are to mimic. Authoritative parenting results in health. From the soul out. When a child is brought up in an authoritative home, there's, yes, there is some really good structure. There are traditions, right? There are things the child knows what to expect. They're going to be provided for. They're going to be protected, right? There are, there are expectations for their behavior, how they're supposed to act and interact with one another. They know exactly what those are, and those rules don't change, right? But there is also a lot of love, a lot of grace, a lot of kindness. This is where we need to practice as, as Christian parents to be able to to raise our kids authoritatively as we bring them up in Christ. Now, two things that are important in how we parent. The first one is that recognize that uh, as we have this structure and this love, which means that we as parents do not punish our children. We discipline them. And there's a very big difference. In Scripture, there's only two institutions that are authorized to punish, and those are God himself and government. Those are the only two. And God punishes in, in terms of him being king of kings. Right? Employers, all of this, have not been authorized to punish. We've been told that we're supposed to, to enact discipline. And so the difference between the two is, is very profound and is very important. Punishment is this. Here's the standard. Right? You're supposed to do this. Measure up. Right? So you go here. Punishment is then, I'm going to make you suffer this much for the, for the sake of equity. Right? For example, uh, you steal a $5 candy bar. Right? And, the, and here is a standard. You don't steal. And you stole a $5 candy bar. You're supposed to suffer as much as whatever you stole. Right? So you have to make that back. So there's probably be a fine or something like that. And the purpose is of making you suffer. Right? That the pain that you receive is, is what we call justice. Right? Brings that equity. But like if you stole a $5 candy bar and we chopped off your hand, then you know, then you would have massive, it would be called injustice, cruel and unusual punishment, right? Punish. Punishment is all about the pain. And so we find that government has been authorized for punishment for the sake of justice, right? To, in, to reflect God's justice in this world, and that's why governments can block people in prison, even if it does not redemptive for the person, right? It's about, it's about justice. Parenting is different. We've not been authorized to punish. In fact, we've been called to discipline. Discipline is this. Here's the standard. You're supposed to act this way, and your behavior falls short. I don't make you suffer this much. What I do is whatever it takes to help bring you back to standard. Discipline is doing whatever it takes to bring you back to standard. Sometimes that requires a little bit of pain, right? I think about uh, last two weeks ago, uh, we got off the football bus, and a bunch of the guys, they left the bus a mess, right? It was just a mess. And so uh, Coach did some... um, Memory reinforcement for the, for the football team, guys. Uh, memory enhancement, I think is what he called it. And uh, they had to do 100 push-ups, right? And the reason they did the 100 push-ups wasn't because we wanted them to hurt, but because we wanted to remember that how they act matters, right? That we're supposed to, to represent well. And guess what? Next time we have a football game, I bet you the bus will be really clean. It's doing whatever it takes to bring the standard, your, your behavior up. That's the purpose. So the focus isn't on the pain. The focus is on behavior. Are you changing the person, the child, making them better? Which is great because as children of God, God doesn't punish us. So once we die to the old self, when we were his enemies, he would punish us. I was still guilty for my sin, but I'm not guilty anymore. I'm not going to be punished by the government of heaven. And now I've died to that. I've been born again as his child, and God now disciplines me. And it's very different. God is now interested, not in, and he will do anything, whatever it takes, to bring us up to standard. Sometimes it requires pain. Sometimes it requires a second chance. Sometimes it requires grace. But whatever it takes, discipline brings us up to standard. So parents, the first thing, we do high structure, high love. We recognize, we start with this, we discipline, we do not punish. Helping your children become better. The second thing is that we have to be consistent. Consistency matters. That's part of that high structure. Right, that we've got to be the same, that our kids shouldn't wonder, I'm going to talk to dad about this, he might just go off the handle, he might be all right. right? We, we have to be, our Heavenly Father is very consistent how he parents us. We need to be consistent with our children. Practice those, the better we do, 
then we say that we are responsible for our kids. And so what that means for parents in our church, ultimately you are responsible for raising your children, discipling your children. The church is going to help. We're going to have praise place. We're going to have youth group and all those things, but those are supplementary. As a parent, you do not have the opportunity to, uh, to just offload the, the raising of your children to another person. Right? There are things to help you. There's the church. We have programs that can help. But ultimately, God will hold you responsible for how you raised your children. And so practice high love and high structure. Consistency. It's very good. Second thing we have, then, is for kids. Our children also have a role in the family. And that role is to their parents. Children are under their parents' authority. And it's what it says, uh, verse 20. It says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. If you want to make God happy, obey your parents. Now, I'm not talking about if your parents tell you to do something sinful. If your parents tell you to go out and steal a car, you have to obey your heavenly father first, right? But most parents don't ask you to do that. Most parents ask you to do the laundry, sweep up the floors, tell the truth, do your homework, right? Most parents, this is what we're asking you to do, and it says, you know what? Obey them because it makes God happy. Your role is to listen to and obey your parents' authority, right? In fact, God is so serious about this, he made it one of his top ten, right? It's in the Ten Commandments. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 20. It says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And children, listen to that. Honor your parents so you can live. Because sometimes, as a parent, you just... Honor your father and mother. There's a blessing to it. God wants you to do this. See, we live in a culture that seems like the older person gets, the, the more our culture says that they're supposed to be disrespected. But that's not the way that the family of God works. It's not the way the kingdom of God works. Remember, what is good is what God says is good. In the kingdom of God, the older person becomes, the more honor and respect they're to be given. Why? Because they've been given more opportunity in this life. They have something called wisdom. And your parents have lived longer than you, and they are responsible for you, and so your job is to respect them. you to obey them? Well, Philippians tells us, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like the stars of the sky. Do you recognize that young people, that you are the light of Christ into your generation, to your friends and to the future? You are the light of Christ and in your generation sometimes can be pretty dark. And your testimony, according to this, to your generation is how you treat your parents and how we treat God. We're to obey, not begrudgingly, because the church shouldn't be begrudging in how we obey God the Father. We need to trust that he's got our best interests at heart, shouldn't we? The church shouldn't be around you know, talking bad about God because he doesn't do things our way. The church should be without grumbling or arguing, not making it difficult. And I tell you, when you do that, this word of God, which is true, says it'll make an impact on your generation. You're going to stand out like the stars in the night sky. Your friends and your neighbors, your, 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 your friends at school, they're going to be like, what? That's so different. And sometimes they will rebel against it. They'll be like, that makes no sense. But be consistent. And they will see the benefits that you get. Because remember, honoring your parents has a blessing. You get a longer, better life. You get to enjoy God's blessing better. Your testimony in your school and to your friends starts with how you treat your parents. Because why would your friends listen to you talking about how you should honor God and worship Him if you can't honor your, heaven, your, your earthly parents? Start there. And I will say this, in your process, sometimes I know from as a former child that there are times it's difficult to honor your parents and to obey them. So I want to encourage you, young people, with this. Remember that Jesus obeyed his heavenly Father. Even when God the Father told Jesus to do something he didn't want to do, Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And because he did that, he saved the entire world. There is power in obedience, and God can use it. So, today, we've talked about a lot of things for our families. <laughs> How do we apply them? I would say the first thing that we find in this for families is this, to invest in a healthy marriage. The very first thing, the best thing that we can do if we want to build solid families is to start with solid marriages. So start there. 
If you're single, this applies to you, right? Because you may get married someday, so start there. Learn what it means to be masculine or feminine. What does it mean to be a husband or a wife? Practice this. Practice purity, right? But prepare yourself for this role. And if you are ready to take that step, then you take that step and mean it, right? Prepare yourself. Honor the marriage covenant that way. If, if you're a widow to divorce, then practice purity, right? But also to, to demonstrate you might have been married for a long time before that. Teach the younger generation what does it mean to love your spouse to the very end. Right? Show that. The church needs that example. <laughs> if you're married, whether or not you have kids in the home, pursue improvement. You'll say that the word there is invest. Invest costs you something with the expectation of a return. Right? So invest in your marriage. That might be investing time just growing in Christ. Finding your sufficiency in Him. Maybe it's taking time together, investing for men, learning how to love your wife sacrificially. Invest in her. Take her out. Find out what is important to her. Listen to her. That's an investment, right? Invest in your wife. Wives, invest in your husbands. Respect them. It's going to cost you something. Honor them. Be their helpmate. It's going to cost you something, but there's going to be a return. So invest in your marriages. First thing we could do. Second thing we want to do is for our parents is to parent responsibly. High love, high structure, responsibly. Be thoughtful about how you parent your children. Be thoughtful. God's thoughtful about how he parents you. Be thoughtful with how you parent your children. Right? And I would say this as far as like grandparents, you can be part of this as well. You still have a voice into your children's lives. Or use it. God has authorized you. That's part of a grandparent's role. It's to pray for your children and your grandchildren, but also set a great example in your own home. But also, you have opportunity, and depending on your relationship with your kid, but use it. They'll say, you know what, I remember when you were that age and it was difficult, and this is some things that maybe I did well, or this is something I would have done different. Right? But this is how maybe to help the parent. Right? Come alongside, but parent responsibly. We want to have high structure, high love homes. I said the last part, what we have for our kids our children is to honor your parents, but it's not just for the young children that are here. It's for all of us, because all of us have parents, right? Faith, right? So if child, children, if you are in a home and you have parents there, honor them without grumbling, without arguing, without complaining. Practice that. Learn it. If you're an adult and you have living parents that are there, honor them. Give them respect, right? Honor their, their name. Carry on the things that they did well. Forgive the things that they did not well right? Offer them gratitude. Say thank you, because you're still alive, probably partly to do with them, right? Honor your parents. And if your parents have passed on, honor their legacy. You pass on their name. You pass on their DNA, but you pass on even more than that. Pass on the very best of them to the next generation. Honor them with this. All of us have something we can do in this. Invest in a healthy marriage, parent, uh, responsibly honoring our parents, but sometimes those are big concepts. So that's why in the back of your connection card, I have some smaller steps that, to help you to apply those concepts in your life, even this week. It's a little more tangible things. So if you have your connection card, I encourage you to pull that out. And there's some things I'm going to challenge you to do this week that can help you. The first one is to memorize Galatians 2.20. And if you haven't done anything yet, do that. Get the Word of God in you. It's amazing how it changes us. It does heart surgery on us. That you died to your old life, and you're now alive in Christ, and there's a new way to live. So start there. Or maybe for you, you can read the book of Colossians. Why? Get to know God. I read you a little passage in the back. The very end talks about parenting, but the whole book of Colossians is about relationship with Christ. Spend some time with that. Or how about this? Maybe pray for your family. If you're a child, pray for your parents. They have a hard job, right? They have to raise you, right? If you're a parent, pray for your kids. They have a hard job. They have to listen to you. Right? Pray for your family. If your grandparents, pray for your family. Maybe we start with that. And if, if you are orphaned or widowed and you have nobody else, you have a church family. Pray for us. And we're glad that you're part of it. How about this? Maybe what you need to do is help a single parent. This week, make it a part. Not, it doesn't have to just be somebody in our church, by the way. But shouldn't the body of Christ be helping? Just like it says that, that ministry to widows and orphans is, is the ministry that God loves. Recognize that we have over half of our, our families and our, half of our children in our community are raised in single-parent homes. We are the body of Christ. We need to be the light of Christ where we are. If you know a single parent, 
there's something that you can do that would be a help this week, right? Probably the best way that you could do that is get to know them. That would be a nice thing. But there are little things because they have a lot on their shoulders. They've got to do the role of everything. So it could be bring them some, do some grocery shopping for them, bring them a meal, right? Uh, if it snows, shovel their driveway, right? To begin by just helping a single parent, maybe it's letting them have an evening off. That would probably be a big thing. But I would say help a single parent, and as you do that, pray for them. That's a good thing. And there's another line. There's another line. I'm going to give you a suggestion for this other one. God has blessed our church with a lot of young families, which is amazing. Because we have downstairs, right down the praise place, the next generation of faith growing. We talk about being transformational, generational discipleship. God has already brought a lot of children to our church, which is fantastic, and parents there. One of the ways that we bless the parents in this church and the children is through our praise place ministry. But we have more kids than we have teachers to teach them. And I've asked it for a while, but I want to say, if you are able, interested, you would help us on our praise place team. To be able to go, and for three months, we would just have you go and help us clean up after the praise place is done. That's a big part. You can see what's there. And if you still are okay with being around kids, seeing how messy they can be, we'll train you for the next six months, teaching you how, partnering with another teacher, and so you can see what it's like. But to help us disciple our children and serve our parents in our praise place ministry. If that's something you'd like to do, you can let us know right there on that other line or take one of the connection cards or the say yes cards, drop that. But let us know. This is a great way that you could apply this passage in helping build strong families. All right, so I've given you all something to hopefully a next step that you could take. In a second, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, I encourage you to take this connection card, drop it in the offering basket as it is passed. Allow me, please, to pray for you as you commit... Uh, make those offerings as well as your commitments, and then uh, we'll have the worship team close us with some good worship. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for whom you are, that you are really are that perfect parent. And Lord, I'm grateful that you uh, call us with that amazing uh, dignity that you give us to be able to represent you, reflect you to the next generations, how we raise our children. When I pray that you would bless this church, help us to be a church that has strong families. We pray for our marriages, the families in our church, that their marriages, some are really good, some are struggling right now. Father, I pray that you would bless them, that your Holy Spirit would move into those homes, every one of them, and draw us all closer to you. Father, we pray for our children and for the parents that are here today, that they would be encouraged, help us to fill our role in a way that honors you. Father, I pray that we wouldn't just leave a legacy today, but but generationally transforming us in the gospel in this community and in our families uh, for, for many, many years to come. Lord, I pray for the commitments that we're making today. Help us to keep those in a way that, that really transform us from the inside out. Make us more like you. Now, Father, we pray for our tithes and our offerings as well, that you would uh, bless these, use them, multiply them, so that way we can reach this community more effectively with your love and with your grace. We pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.